how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Dana Kay, founder of Kay Publicity, is a lifelong entrepreneur who believes in the power of storytelling and authentic personal branding. Known for her innovative ideas and knowledge of current trends, she coaches her clients on how to identify and establish their unique personal brands. Dana is also the author of two books, Your Book, Your Brand, the step-by-step -step guide to launching your book and boosting your sales, along with the Personal Brand Workbook, and she serves on the advisory board of Propel PR. In this interview, we discuss Dana's winding journey to entrepreneurship, when to hire a publicist, why competition for authors isn't really that important, how to sell yourself as an author, what it means to be local famous, and how to reach beyond diehard fans. So I am both a lifelong writer and entrepreneur. I wrote several acclaimed books when I was in my elementary school, acclaimed beating my, my mother. And I also had a lemonade stand. I sold wrapping paper. So the, the life of an entrepreneur and the life of a writer both really interested me. And so I originally actually went to business, was starting to go to business school. I did not like, I went to a big 10 university, wasn't my jam. So I decided, you know what, maybe it's the writing thing. Maybe I need to go back to the writing. And so I transferred to Columbia College, which is an arts program and majored in fiction writing. And at the time I was thinking I'm going to write the great American novel and I'm going to be a fiction writer for the rest of my life. But through Columbia, I also took a freelance applications class, meaning we learned how to write different types of things for potential freelance gigs. So I learned how to do grant writing. I learned how to write reviews, how to write feature articles, journalism pieces. And that really resonated with me. I really enjoyed that. So in tandem with writing that great American novel, I was also writing all kinds of things from feature articles. I predominantly did book reviews. And so that was a lot of fun. I got to read and tell people what to read. 
and then moved on and did, you know, whatever paid the bills. So I did a lot of not so sexy writing, like copy for an insurance website or brochure copy, things like that. And then soon in about, I would say 2008, which was, as some of us remember, this huge recession hit, newspapers and magazines were folding. I kind of saw the writing on the wall that something needed to change, that my freelance writing gig wasn't going to be a long-term, a long-term career. And so I thought about what I really enjoyed doing. What I really enjoyed doing was telling people what to read. That was my favorite part of being a book critic, was being able to take a book that maybe no one had ever heard of and write a review in such a way that would tell people if they would like it or not. So book PR, book marketing, all of that was felt like a natural transition. I worked with publicists all the time. They were pitching me, sending press materials. I received about 100 books a month sent to our tiny apartment. And I, so I thought, okay, this is a natural transition. The only problem was publishing was in New York, and I am a lifelong Chicagoan, and I had no interest in moving to New York. So while I was applying to jobs, I was doing so half-heartedly because I didn't want to move. And so this is where entrepreneurship came back in. Instead of moving to work at a publishing house, I just decided to launch my own shop. And I started with one client who wasn't risk averse and took a chance on me. And within the year, I had grown my company to 30 clients. Tell me some, maybe some typical, if you can describe like a typical client you have, do they come in with a either fiction or nonfiction book? What are some of their first questions? Do they have any idea really what PR is? Or do they mostly know that maybe my book is sort of like this? Or what are some of those first conversations like? We see the range. So we have clients who come to us, they are already New York Times bestsellers, and they've worked with publicists in the past, and they published 10 books, and they want to get from here to there. But we also have debut authors who have never hired a publicist before, don't even know if they need one, and really have to be educated on the process. So we work with a variety of authors, fiction and nonfiction. I'd say that we specialize in commercial books because we want to have the widest possible appeal in order to sell enough books so that we could earn our keep. So if you have a really small press book with a very niche audience, it probably doesn't make sense to spend thousands of dollars on publicity. It makes a lot more sense to do it yourself. And so we, most of our authors are highly, I'd say commercial, but both fiction and nonfiction. The initial questions, a lot of it comes from, one is why do why they think they need a publicist, but why they actually need a publicist. So a lot of authors think that publicists hold this magical fairy dust or a magical Rolodex that we know all the right people. And if they just hire the publicist, that they're buying the key to those contacts. While we do have a lot of great relationships in media, that's it's nothing magical about it. What we do is that we build our relationships, but it also has to be the right fit and the right book. So what we're able to do is we're able to take your book and talk about it in such a way that the right radio producer or podcast host or book critic will see why they want to read it and why it's important to their audience. So ultimately, I feel like we're storytellers and translators in a way that authors 
have difficulty doing it for their own work. So we're able to talk about their books to the right people so that they can get covered and get more exposure. But I also think that some authors think, okay, if I hire the publicist, I don't have to do any of this work. They're going to do all the work for me. When in fact, actually, we sometimes create more work for you because we're pitching a lot more media outlets than you would probably do yourself. And so you're going to have interviews, you're going to have guest articles, there may be more engagement on social media. So, you know, more fans, more problems, right? So if you are, if you do want to hire a publicist, it's not just offloading everything onto someone else. It really is a partnership and a collaboration. Is there maybe a commercial example that still might not work? Like, are you worried about crowded marketplaces? If the title is too similar to 10 titles on Amazon, does that kind of come up? What are some of those uh, worries, even if it is kind of the right idea or the right niche? So I always think about, I never think about competition with other books because unlike maybe a car where you only buy one every 10 years, people buy the books they want to buy. So if I, if it's new release day and I see three books that I want, chances are I'm going to buy all three. So I'm not as concerned about other books in the marketplace, but the questions I ask are, and this is, I think, particular for nonfiction, is why are you the person to write this book? So like why, or if it's a memoir, why is this the story that needs to be told? Um, if it's fiction, I'll think about ways that sets it apart. If it's just a really solid police procedural, there is an audience for that. But if there's nothing that sets it apart, it's going to be really difficult for me to place it with enough outlets that would make it have a big impact. So we can contact all the mystery magazines and mystery bloggers and libraries and bookstores. But in order to have that more widespread appeal, there needs to be some nugget something different, either about the author or about the plot, or even about the the public the path to publication. Sometimes that's interesting. There needs to be some sort of news hook that we could reach the more general media market, that we can reach the more general reader, because there's many different types of readers. There's the readers who only read romance or only read mystery and they're voracious readers and they buy a lot. They read the blogs, they read the, they follow the Instagrammers or the YouTubers that write about their preferred genre. Those are the diehard fans. Those are great. And those are really easy to reach. It's the more general readers, the people who may only read 12 to 15 books a year in order to reach them. We have to do that from more general media, like daily newspapers, like morning TV shows, like arts and culture outlets. And those outlets need something other than here's a new book. They need some sort of news hook. They need some reason that it is relevant. And so those are the instances where we may pass on a client, even if it's just a really solid book, but if there's no real way for us to position it as different or new or innovative, it's going to be really difficult for us to be successful. Is there any type of hierarchy to how you reach out? Like, do you start with blogs and podcasts first, or is it just you kind of go all around? Does it help you to have, you know, reference links? Like this author has been on these three podcasts and then you try for something higher up. Like, is there anything like that that goes into your planning? Absolutely. So we pitch based first based on lead time. So I, we typically start six to seven months in advance of publication. So 
monthly magazines or quarterly magazines, they're operating on a really long lead time. So even though I'm in Chicago, there's a foot of snow on the ground, but I'm pitching magazines for their summer issues right now. <laughs> and so we work on that long lead time uh, first. From there, we typically begin with the maybe weekly magazines or podcasts that don't have as long of a lead time, but maybe need some more time or they book up a little bit faster. As we get closer to the date, so we're saying like four and six weeks in advance of pub, that's when we'll pitch the online outlets because in general, some online outlets may book up quicker, but most of them don't have any lead, don't need as much lead time. If I can pitch them something, a radio producer, I can pitch him today and have a guest spot in two days. And so we tend to do the hierarchy based on the lead time because we want everything going around pub date. So we want all the interviews airing, all the booktubers talking about it. We want all the magazine features all publishing around pub date. So we actually work our hierarchy based on lead time. In terms of what works in terms of setting things apart, previous interviews always help. Because as you know, Brock, you interview people you don't necessarily know whether or not they're a good interviewer. <laughs> you don't know necessarily what you're going to get when they call you. So if you, if there are links to previous interviews, you can listen and say, okay, this person is eloquent, isn't too salesy, you know, jives with what I'm with my style and my conversation style. I'm going to book them. If I'm booking someone for a TV spot, they want to know, can they? How do they look on camera? How do they show up on camera? It's not a deal breaker, but I think it definitely helps a producer when they're considering, is this the person for my five minute slot on Tuesday to see a previous interview, just to know their style, know that they're eloquent and know that they would be a good fit for their show. Do you see, tell me a little more about the kind of the tight window around the publication date and, and some of the emphasis of like putting that all together. I mean, to use a analogy like I know you know 20 years ago a movie might come out and you've got three or four months to see it now you've kind of just got that weekend and it's either success or failure what's the window like for mm -hmm. a book and maybe besides even is it all about the bestseller list or what's some other emphasis and then what's that window look like so if we are trying to hit a bestseller list then that is definitely a focus. We need a condensed amount of sales in a specific period of time in order to make that work. However, I think it's important to have a lot of coverage in a certain amount of time because it evokes the feeling that people are seeing this book everywhere. So, Brock, you gave an example for movies, right? So if I'm thinking back when movies were in theaters and we could go places, um, <laughs> we're recording this in January of 2021. And I think back to if we were at the bus stop or we were watching Hulu or whatever it may be, you're seeing ads for those movies everywhere, particularly around release date, because they need to pack the theaters for those two weeks, three weeks. So if I have this feeling, if I, let's say, let's say I open my Sunday New York Times and I see a review of the book, there's only a slim likelihood that I'm going to go out and buy the book just from that one review. But then what happens when I see people talking about it in my social media feed, or I listen to my podcast and the author is being interviewed, or I turn on NPR and, you know, there's Terry Gross talking to this author. 
all of a sudden I feel like, wow, this is a big book. If I don't read it, I'm going to be outside the zeitgeist. And so that's what we are trying to create. Sometimes we create that within certain communities. So meaning we have mystery authors or thriller authors or romance authors that if you ask a romance reader about that author, like, oh yeah, I've seen that book everywhere. She's so great. But if I ask a general reader, they may not have heard of her. Um, But so we can also, what I would call create local fame. (laughs) You want to be local famous. So like people in, uh, we have one author, Carter Wilson, everyone in Colorado knows this guy. He's won the Colorado book award several times. If I call any bookstore in Colorado, like, oh, his book sells so well here. And people may have heard of him and he sells pretty well. Um, but like in Colorado, he is very like top bestseller every, every single time. So I think it's, it creates this feeling that everyone is talking about the book and it makes people feel, it gives people FOMO. So they go out and buy the book out of FOMO and versus if we trickled it out, it may not have the same impact. So sure. If you get, let's say a today show appearance, And that's all you have, like that's still reaching a lot of people, but that appearance will have a much bigger impact if there are other things happening around it. Tell me a little more about the the local famous. Is that would that like an example would be that he writes fiction set in a certain place, something like that. Are there other examples that come to mind um, of people that might want to kind of try that route and write what they know in their area they're in? Sure. I think that it it can be a few different things. It can be a local market. It can be, so if you are really active in certain communities, like if you're, again, I'm thinking in general when we could go out. So if like you're really, if you do a lot of local bookstore events, if you go to networking events, if you are, you know, always, if you're in with the, the local media. So it could be like local by a geography, just your hometown. You have a lot of hometown love. And that's in the instance of Colorado, Um, that's where Carter lives. He's very active in that community. And that is why, but it can be other things too. It can be people in certain genres. So maybe they always focus a lot on the genre fiction outlets. They go to the mystery conventions or the sci-fi conventions. They are active in the mystery bookstore with mystery bookstores or romance bookstores. So the local fame could also be in the genre. And then it also could be something entirely different. It can be something with your, maybe you write about a certain topic. Um, We've definitely worked on our share of cozy mysteries, which are um, mysteries that are amateur sleuths, they're puzzles, there's no um, sex, violence, or cursing. So it's a very, it's a very specific subgenre. But we have people who like have a cat in their cozy mystery and they are in it with the cat people like the cat people love these books because they are cat owners they write for modern cat and cat fancy and all those outlets Um, so it could also just be by the subgenre something about your day job something about a a piece of your books that you're really embedded with a certain community so for our listeners that maybe they're writing or just finished their first book, but they're not a celebrity, have a small social media, if they were to approach someone like you, what are some of the things they could do to, to better pitch to, to even to your, your company or companies like yours? Sure. So I think that if, first of all, if they're writing the book, then you don't need to, then you don't need to publish us. The first step is to write a book. Like that's the most important thing, write the book and finish the book. 
then they have to decide their path to publication. So if they're going to go the indie route, then, you know, figuring out what they want their timeline to be, how involved they want to be in the process, because if you go the indie route, you are now also the publisher, not just the writer. And if they want to go the traditional route, then writing, finding an agent, querying, all of those things. So I think that's the first step is to finish the book and then to choose the path to publication. If they're pitching agents or if they're indie pubbing and they want to hire a PR firm to help, they have to think about one, what they're really interested, like what they're interested in doing, like what, how much they want to be involved. They, I think it also helps any background that they have that could be useful to the book. Maybe if they, we have some authors who worked in politics and they have huge mailing lists from their political world. Well, if they write political thrillers or social commentary books, like that's really great. Um, if they write, you know, futuristic sci-fi without social commentary, then maybe that is less helpful. So I think thinking about what they could potentially bring to the table. All that being said, I speak for most agents um, and I can speak for myself as a publicist that ultimately it's about the book itself. If a writer has experience, if a writer has connections, if a writer has a platform, that's all icing on the cake. That just makes our jobs way easier. But most authors come to us because they don't have anything. They don't have a social media presence. They don't have a website. And we help build that for them. And so I think that the most important thing to think about first is to finish the book. Then you can start thinking about, okay, well, what do I bring to the table? How do I view my book in the marketplace? I always ask this question of, if you think about your typical reader, someone who has your book on their shelf, what other books do they have? Like, that's a really important thing, because I think a lot of authors think, like, well, everybody would love my book. <laughs> my book is for everyone. But actually, there's certain types of people who like certain types of books. So thinking about where would my book be shelved in, in a bookstore? If my, my biggest fan has my book, what other books are they a fan of? How can we market our, this book in a unique way? All of that work should be done after the book is finished. Because I think when you start writing, thinking about letting market cloud your creative news, um, it, can, it can be a little disruptive. So I think first, just finish the book, write the book you want to write, make it as good as humanly possible. And then once you pick your path to publication, that's when we start thinking about how to position it, how to market it, what sets it apart, things like that. Well, so let's talk a little bit about your book, not not to put you on the spot too much, but I, I, so your book is your book, your brand, the step-by-step -step guide to launching your book and boosting your sales. You know, some of the things you've mentioned, why were you, the, you might've already said this, but like why you were the person to write the book, but also like why now was the time for the book and maybe just a few more, you know, the insight of how you kind of, you know, sold and marketed the book. I, I would say I had an atypical path to publication. I, I am not shy about asking people or throwing, asking people about things or throwing ideas out there. And I had a meeting with a publisher several years ago for one of my other clients. And she was talking about expanding into nonfiction and why she was kind of, I think, selling me on the publisher, maybe thinking like we have some nonfiction clients who would submit. But I really liked what she was saying. I thought, you know, I would like to work with her. I like, I like her. I, the, I like what the publisher is doing. And I have a book. I can write a book. 
And so I told her, I said, you know, I have been thinking about writing a book based on basically downloading everything that I know and everything I do about what it takes to successfully launch a book. What do you think? And so we basically did a handshake agreement (laughs) on a cocktail napkin um, in a bar at a writing conference. So that was a little atypical. But what was interesting was she said, once we finalized the finalized everything, we like got back to our office, you know, we made it a little bit more formal. She said, I'd love to have it by September 1st. So it could make it into our next year, next fall catalog. And that date was mid or beginning of July. (laughs) So I wrote the book in pretty much eight weeks. And that was something that is, when, when people ask me, like, how did you do that? It's very different in this case because I was essentially downloading everything I knew and distilling it into a book. I already had an outline, um, but I didn't necessarily have a lot of time to think about all the things that you're saying <laughs> about, okay, well, why am I the one to write this and all, why is this different? Um, but the, the difference is, is that I have been doing publicity at that point for eight years. Um, I'm now in my 12th year. And I I know from years and years of experience that we do do things differently. I have a very different viewpoint than many other publicists out there on what it takes to be successful with a book. Uh, so with a client's book. So I wrote it with that approach. I wrote it with the approach that I, I truly believe publicists are not magical people. Anyone, myself included, I became a publicist by doing the work and trying new things and just focusing on people and storytelling. Really what I did. I wrote pitch emails to people that I knew and told the story of our books in a way that they felt compelled to read them. Authors can do that themselves. They really can. And so what I was hoping to accomplish and based on feedback I think I have is you can buy this book, follow the steps and successfully launch a campaign and launch your book successfully you have to do the work, right? Like it's not just reading the book and then magic. It's really following it as a step-by-step guide, hence the subtitle that you can just follow as you go and successfully market your book. Because I believe that everyone can do this themselves. It may take a little longer. There may be more of a learning curve, but if you don't want, if your marketing budget is 30 bucks, then you can buy the book and then have some money left over for whatever ads you want to buy. Um, and if you have a small marketing budget, you can take this and really and really run with it. And we've seen a lot of people have great success. Thank you for that. So, so I first um, discovered some of your work on Instagram. Uh, for our listeners, you're DanaK23. I like this recent post you've done, the dripping water drills the rock not by force, but by persistence. And I'm curious what kind of conversations you have with your clients about long term. Like if their goal is not to write necessarily one book. So some people, entrepreneurs as well, may write a book just to validate a coaching program, something else that they do. If someone wants to write forever, write a book every two or three years, whatever it is, are there anything is there anything you do differently or conversations you have about, you know, the long term and being a prolific writer? Well, I I appreciate you bringing this up because I think it's an important conversation for people to think about. I think when you're writing a book or when you're publishing a book, you want to think about how this fits into your long-term plan. So like you said, some people write this book, it's just 
their business in a book. Um, like, you know, I don't know that I will write another book maybe, but right now, no, that was <laughs> downloaded everything I know and then we're done. But for people who are writing fiction or want to write regular nonfiction books, there is a long-term plan. Um, so I think that what, what I always tell our clients is we want to get to each, you can't go from level one to level 10. We need to go through each step of the process. And each time you have a book out, we're going to iterate that process based on where you currently are. Um, so a great example is our client, Greg Hurwitz, who's a thriller author. His new book, Prodigal Son, just launched last night. Um, and he and I have been working together now for, we've worked on eight books together, nine, no, eight, eight, eight. Um, and so we've been working together for a really long time. The things we did eight years ago are not the things we're doing now. When we first met, he was not a New York Times bestseller. We worked together for two books. Then that third book hit the New York Times list briefly. And then we worked on more books. Now they consistently hit the New York Times. Like we keep growing and growing. You know, in the beginning, he did a lot more in-person events. He said yes to almost every media outlet that wanted to have him. He did a lot more. Now that his career has grown, we're saying yes to only the bigger things. We're saying no to a lot more things because as authors will see, I always say next level, next devil, that as soon as you get to the next thing, now all of a sudden there's more, um, more responsibility. So he is doing more screenwriting, uh, the, the books are being adapted. There's a lot more responsibility. So you need to free up time and we can't say yes to every smaller outlet that comes knocking. So with that, I think what authors have to think about is every time you have a book out, you're gathering readers. Ideally, you're putting readers into that little basket, <laughs> your little community, and you want to continue to engage with them and keep them loyal. So where he is spending his time is not necessarily doing every little, you know, blogger spotlight, things like that. Instead, he's focusing on the bigger media outlets and then nurturing his existing fans. He writes a series, um, the Orphan X series. So in theory, every time a new person finds him, there's about seven books that they can pick from and they may need to read all seven books if they want to get fully caught up. So it's really important to nurture that fan base every single year to continue to grow. It's not just a, you pop in during launch, you market, you, you sell, you do all those things, and then you retreat to the writing cave. There needs to be some ongoing nurturing of your readership all the time. And then once you have several books, I think, you know, we have, we have clients, we have romance authors who are on like their 50th book. In theory, one reader is a potential to buy 50 books from you. So to continue to talk about your backlist, to talk about if there's an ebook deal happening, to talk about the inspiration for different books or how one leads into another or how this series differs from the other, that will all remind people about your other books so you can increase your sales in between launches. So I think that's the major difference when we work with clients long-term who are writing one, two, sometimes three books a year is this constant nurturing of their existing audience so they stay with them and they don't lose them in between books. Perfect. Thanks again for your time. And just our last question where, for our listeners, where can they 
uh, find you, find your business, find more about you? Where could they kind of start if there's a certain maybe blog post they should read first and that kind of thing? Well, thank you for having me, Brock. This has been a really great conversation. I'm glad that we had a chance to share because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about publicity and what a publicist does. So I'm glad we could chat through this today. Um, my company is K Publicity, so K-A-Y-E publicity.com. And clearly you like listening to podcasts. So if you want to learn more about publicity, marketing, and being a career author, you can check out my podcast, Your Breakout Books. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at writerfieldnotes.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.